Words from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Um, so this morning, I have one hour, and I please, I would like you to write. So get out your notebooks. I don't know when the church stopped writing. It is, um, it is important. So as I'm talking, don't look at me and think, who's going to write? What do you think you want to say that we haven't heard before? Write it. Even if you've heard it before, write it. Recently, I had an argument with my son, Nathan. I told him to go read a story in the Bible, and he said to me, because his Bible that he studies with is divided into different books. So he has maybe like Genesis to Exodus in one book, you know, and like that and like that. So we were on Acts, uh, Acts, Acts and Romans or something. So I told him, go finish. He was like, mommy, I finished it. I was like, go and read it. He said, but I finished Acts and Romans. I said, Nathan, it's impossible for you to finish Acts and Romans. I said, me, your mother, I'm still reading it. I said, so you cannot finish it. I said, I know you finished the text. I said, but you have not exhausted the spirit. I said, so go back and read it again until when I ask you any question, you can answer me. So he went back and read it. Why am I saying it? We take the word for granted. We take teaching and learning for granted. Right. If you don't have a notepad, then I saw that we're giving some out there. Collect one. If you use your, your phone, use the phone and remove WhatsApp and Instagram during the sermon. And just concentrate on the word. The weight of your life is dependent on how much of God you have on the inside of you. I'm not saying how much of God you have heard, but how much of God you have received. When you receive something, you have made room for the thing and the thing has made room for you. To the point where both of you have married and that scripture can say, I know her, and you can say, I know that scripture. Do you understand? So when people ask me some question, Pia, how can I, how can I, I want what you have. I say, you can't have it like that. But these are the pathways you sit, you honor what is honorable. So please, let us write today because we'll be making a journey. So, um, when Eva was talking today, I'll start from where she stopped because my sermon is replenish from Eden. And I love Eden. If you know me very well, I cannot preach a sermon without going back to the garden. I believe strongly that the entire scripture is anchored on what happened in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You can sit in that place for your entire lifetime. And if you hack it, you understand the fundamental principles in Genesis 1, 2, 3. You can understand what God is saying throughout the Bible. You can understand it completely. Every time I'm in the New Testament, I find out something new. I'm like... Oh my God, we're right back in the garden. We're right. It's like we keep going back to everything that happened there. So it is an honor for me to teach about how you replenish the world from Eden. Um, Pastor Eva was talking about children, and I love that her sermon so powerful. It's all about family. I was saying to somebody recently, I was talking to a man, and I said, you know, we have to try as men. And when I say we, maybe thinking, but you're a woman. Last, last, now all of us, if one fall, everybody go fall. Adam and Eve learned that the hard way. 
So we have to try as men. And I said, your pride is so important. Jesus literally came and died so that he could have a bride. Just for babe. That's why he gave his life. He left his throne and risked it all. He's the typical risk it all. He risked everything just so that he could do what? You would think that what he would have gotten for himself is like 10 billion more galaxies. You would think that what he would have gotten for himself would be another kind of power that, you know, everywhere you hear Jesus, light bulbs would just go off. But what did he get for himself? A bride. That is to tell you that the power of connection between a man and a woman is worth God risking all of eternity. So when God gives you the privilege as a man to choose a bride and to have her and he blesses the covenant of union, my goodness, do you know what you have? The angels don't get that opportunity. If it was that lax and easy and nothing in the heavens, angels will be marrying, cherubims will be marrying. Why do you think they don't have it? When we hear there's no marriage in heaven, ah, God, I beg of me, I must marry you. Hey, angels don't marry now, there won't be that. But we look at it from a place of, oh, angels don't marry. I tell you the things they've missed. Mm -mm. It's not about what they miss. It's about what they don't have the right to get. It's about the power, the, how esteemed the marriage and the covenant of family is that they can't just take it. With all the power they possess as angels, they cannot just have it. That's to tell you the privilege you've been given by God when God says, be bound together. So she stopped at marriage and family and children. And as she was speaking, I was, I was saying to someone recently, I was talking to somebody, the person was going on and on about their children and how my child, the school, education, this one, eh, I don't joke with this, I don't joke with that. You know how parents can talk, you just shrink. You just be shrinking. Every effort you are making as a parent, you just be losing your confidence. When the person was going on and on and on about what they do, their children. She finished. She said, you go. I said, <laughs> I said, in my mind, I was going to say, what, what do you really want me to say? You know, I said, ah, me, I don't brag about anything. No. I said, I don't, I'm not the best of anything. I said, since I was a child, that's how my life has been. You know, I said, the only thing that exhausts me in this life is the glory of God upon my life. So I told her, I said, me, I try for my children. I do the best I can. I don't used to fight teachers. I used to argue when something is not right. Or I said, how can you do that? I said, me, I don't have... I said, you know you, you are excellent. You know. I said, what? As I left there, I said to myself, I said, but one thing I don't joke with is their knowledge of God. Because after all said and done, after I don't sweat with geology, after I don't do everything when I do climb all the mountains, pass all the streams, hold compass, hold everything at the end of the day, have I not landed on the pulpit? I have met with kings, I have met with royals. And I can tell you that at the end of the day, the greatest strength a man has is the weight of God that is in his life. He says, train up a child in the way that he should go. That means there's a way for every child. It's not every child that will be astronaut. It's not every child that will grow up to be president. Some children are born to be revivalists. Some children are born 
to be ministers of the gospel like this. We can do everything we want to do. And some people are born to be doctors and engineers. So the greatest work a father or a mother should have is to discover the way per child. And when you find the way, lock the child into it. Give everything to pour into that child in the direction of their destiny. I don't like suffer. One of my name is called Iwahi Oweso. And the meaning of the name means I did not come to this world to suffer. So as you see me here, I like soft. Honestly, I don't, don't know trouble. I don't like trouble in marriage. I don't like trouble in friendship. I don't like trouble in life. I don't like trouble in ministry. I don't like trouble in relationship. I don't like it. But I'm a woman of war. If trouble find me, I go find her. Do you understand? If you try to deal with me, I will deal with you. But I don't go for, I don't, you understand? Uh-huh. So in the same way, even in raising my children, any heartache is not necessary. Baba, show me the way so that I can concentrate my efforts on what is important, necessary, and of eternal value. You will learn how to swing. You will play long tennis. Last, last. Now long tennis will go play forever. Do you get what I'm trying to say? So you spend all the money doing all these grand and powerful things. Then the child will not commit suicide at 29. Because why? No weight. No steadiness. No anchor in their lives. So I'm not saying these things are not important. They are important. I do all of them. But this one thing I do. I give them what no teacher can give them. The word. The word. The word. The word. The word. To the point where my nine-year-old argues scripture with me now. We argue. He'll tell me, no, mom, that's not in the Bible. I'll say, it's there. He'll say, no, it's not there. And 90% of the time, he's correct. Why? He's young. He has never looked for money before. He's not hustling. <laughs> Do you understand? So he's correct. His brain can remember many times. You know, the, the last one we had, Julius. Sometimes I said, there's no Julius in He said, there's Ju- there's no Julius in the Bible. Back and forth, he said, Acts is in this. He says, the captain that was captain of the ship that was going to wreck when Paul was traveling. That ship wrecked. I said, who cares? <laughs> who cares what the captain's name is? Like, I don't care. He went to bring his Bible to find it for me. I said, eh, well, no, you try, 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 try. I'm happy for you. But it started with when he was two, three, little, little, little. I remember then people said, are you sure he's understanding what you're saying? I really don't care if he understands. Just be listening. Just be listening. The word of God is alive. It's like a sleeper cell that they embed in a country. Just put that person there. Then when the nation is ready to take down that nation, to say activate. And from inside the government, the sleeper cell will just take down the presidency. That's the same way when you put the word in a child. If you like right now, he should be dancing. Uh, me and my baby, oh, it's okay. I have put something inside there. The day God is ready, whether I'm in this world, I'm not in this world. All that heaven needs to say is activate. That's the day that we say, ah, that's a joke. Run, come on for club. We don't know what's happening. Just change overnight. He did not change overnight. He did not change overnight. So I encourage anybody that is here. Why? Because this message of replenish is very important in this generation. The, what Satan has done in this generation is to raise a bunch of selfish people. 
So it does not come naturally. When people in this generation tell me now, don't worry, I'll pray for you. In my head, 90% of that I don't believe. Because they do is to pray for people. There was a time when people used to stay up nine hours in Kapukuriakata, your church, oh God, Mr. Samson, in Barosha, Mr. Ah, he shall be saved by the power of the blood. Tell somebody now to pray for another person for one hour. They don't even know what the prayer point should be. So you will get tired. So if somebody tells me I'm praying for you, I'll say, pray, oh. Pray, oh. And I will message you again. Say you are still praying. You say you will pray. Have you prayed? Because people don't know how to carry others anymore. And it is a lie of the devil. It is a trickery of hell to take away that part of Adonai that is inside of us. The master of the whole earth. It's a called a spirit of ownership. And it is part of what God has given to us. That's why today people get married and they can't, they, it's not working, not because they are not individually nice people, but because they don't know how to stretch themselves for another person. I don't know how to explain it. You are here, you are a man. Your wife is negotiating with mechanic. Why? Why? What's her business talking to her barrels? What's her business negotiating what she does not know? You can't stretch yourself. Oh, it's her car. You know, we all have our corner. Corner. Go and do it. You are a man. Do you understand? Why are you exposing her to things she should not be exposed to? You know, we are a work generation. Go and take care of business. We don't know how to stretch ourselves. So our roles are inverted, reversed. You are not sure who you are, who you are not again. You are here. You don't take care of the home. You don't take care of anything. Me and my husband will now go for lunch. We'll split bill. Hey. Maliaso. Why? What's happening? Why? Do you understand? I will not do it. Go and find the money. If it's that, I will pay. I will pay. But don't, don't split bill. Why? What kind of life is that? We don't know how to stretch anymore. We don't know how to stretch anymore. To cover. To take care of one another. So when marriage is end and you really look at it, it is because the other person just did not know how to break the boundaries of their comfort to accommodate the weaknesses of the other. It's just that simple. So you are thinking to yourself, how does this connect to replenishing the earth? There are many times people say that if the name of this conference was break forth and break into the fullness of 2023, my God. We'll be looking for it to put Why? Because it's all about what you're going to get, what you stand to gain. But we replenish the air. to replenish yourself. This day, if I want you here, it's like blah, blah, blue. Blue, blah. Blah, blah, blue. It's like, what's up? Replenish. Town hall. We're not coming. Why? <laughs> because who cares about the earth? Who cares about the earth? But at the end of the day, our Christianity is useless if we cannot achieve the very reason for which we were created. At the end of the day, it's useless. 
It does not matter how many songs we sing, how many dances we dance, how many shaking moments we have. If there is no part of what we do and who we are that takes care of business. Everybody loves people who take care of business. I'm a leader. There are some leaders I love in my ministry. Don't too much talk. They're not interested in becoming my best friend. P.I., can we just pray? Know Jesus and do business. They take care. If I tell them A, B, C, I don't have to go and check if they did K, Y, Z. Do you understand what I'm saying? Every father loves a child that takes care of business. And it comes with a sense of responsibility. And this is what Eden was all about. This is the whole story of what happened in Eden. But before we go into Eden, so there are a couple of things that I will touch. We'll talk about God. We'll talk about the garden. We'll talk about Eden. We'll talk about the wife, the woman, the river. I know you're saying to yourself, Pierre, inside this one hour here, we're going to do it. So God, in Genesis 1, he's the first person we see. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the first introduction of God that we see in scriptures. But many times we forget this version of God because we receive only the God that, you know, has to interject with our brokenness, has to interject with our weakness, has to interject with the troubles and the failings of generations. And that we forget the very first way he introduced himself to us. He wasn't the God of Ebenezer when he first introduced himself. He wasn't the God that heals the blind and raises the dead. That wasn't his first introduction to us. He is not just the God that, you know, comes to save us when we are weak, when we are broken, when we are falling into sin. That was not the first foundational introduction of God to us. The first foundational introduction of God is the God who sat before time began, before the construct of today, tomorrow, next week, life and death began. There was a God that existed in the void of eternal space, the deadless past that no man has ever seen, the one that existed even before the context of existence was put in place. His name is Elohim. So the Bible says in the beginning. So that means there was a time that beginning began. The context of a time that started, it existed inside of God. So when we talk about God and we now talk about ourselves, it comes from the revelation of the fact that this God is not bound by time. And why am I saying this to you? Because in the world in which we are living today, people are dying anyhow. Yesterday we heard of our dearly beloved brother Sammy who died. And I said to somebody, I said, it's almost like the scripture when it says, and in the last days the hearts of men shall fail them. I said, we think about it. I said, but it actually means literally people's hearts are failing. And they're just going. And so when you think about the abundance of death, there's a tendency for it to want to weaken your faith. Some people's convictions are broken. But death does not break our conviction. Death only causes us to go and search deeper about the realities of our eternal life. It makes us to go and enter more into that space. Why? Because in the beginning, the God we serve and whose spirit 
we say we have. He stood outside of the beginning and he created the beginning. And the Bible says, I was with him before every foundation was laid. That means time has got nothing on me. Death is only when time ends. But when this time ends, I stand and I come into another kind of timing. And it is called the endless life of God. So he says, this God introduces himself to us as what? The one who sits comfortably in the darkness and in the void. The one who is not afraid of Nigeria the way he's looking. The one who does not shake by the amount of, you know, bad news and troubles and all of that. He sits there. He did not japa from the void. He did not japa from the darkness. He sat there and he tried to understand it and to understand, you know, how everything has come to be and what he would do to change it and turn it around. It says the Lord moved over the face of the water and God said, let there be light. Why am I talking to you about this God? Because when you go into Genesis, you then begin to understand the role of the nature of God in the nature of man. Because God, many times, we don't, you know, I have seen people who have left me in times of darkness and in times of emptiness. I'm a minister of the gospel. But there are times when I don't know which part of the gospel to use to answer my problem. There are times when I am in void, for lack of a better word, and I am flawed completely. And I don't know what to do. Recently, I harassed one of my friends. I said, I called you to tell you that I don't know anything to do. It gets as if they do me. I said, then three weeks passed. You did not call me to ask me, P.I., how far? I said, how many times do I call you to tell you I'm weak, I'm struggling? I said, this is the problem. Then tomorrow, if I fail as a minister, you people will be the ones that want to answer for me. Well, you know, actually in the church, the God, don't answer for me. I said, because when I called you to say that I need help, it's like you just in my PI is of the most I most I'm gonna take care of her. I said, because it's almost like our, our we are no longer skilled at waiting. I don't know how to explain it. Handling darkness until it produces light. Handling emptiness until it be becomes filled with creation. It is an art, but it is a nature that begins from within you. There is a scripture that has refused to leave me in the past one week. It's a scripture in James 4. It says, from where do wars and fightings come from? He said, is it not from the war within your members? Hey, do you know when I read that scripture, I said, wait a minute. So that means the war around me and the war between all of us and the fighting between all of us is a product of the internal wars within us that we have not dealt with. He says, where do they come from? He says, is it not the war within your members? The lust that you have in your members. Ah, so that means if every one of us can arrive at an internal Eden and an internal garden that is well cultured and cultivated, we will not have the problems we see within us. So I'm saying that because taking care of darkness requires a waiting. God waited, God paused. 
He showed us how he created. He did not create from abundance. He did not create from many. He created from a place of darkness. So, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's okay to be in darkness. Sometimes it's okay to be in pain. Sometimes it's okay to struggle. Sometimes it's okay for Nigeria to be where it is. That is not the most important thing. The most important thing is those who carry the spirit of Elohim. What are they doing in the midst of the darkness? What is their strategy from turning void into abundance? For turning darkness into light? What is their strategy for separating the water from the land? So that we can see what is good in the nation and what needs to be sorted out. It's an art. It's an art. You learn it. You learn it in patience, in studying. Nothing is ever too big for you. Do you know how big this world is? Have you ever taken a look at the galaxies and planets? Take a look at the picture. It's mind-boggling. It's like you want to go crazy. When they begin to describe the size of planets, it's like you want to throw yourself into the water because your mind cannot contemplate it. But think about this God that takes it all in. He took it all in. Take it all in. The reason why many of us cannot have the right relationship we're supposed to have with God is because we don't know how to take things in. So many wars, so many battles in your life that you have never computed. Like sit down to understand it. I told somebody that was talking to me about their current situation. And I said to her, I said, please, who was your father? Oh, he was a GDD of this one. I said, oh, leave all those certifications he had. I said, but who was your dad? What were his struggles? What were his weaknesses? I said, okay, what about your mother? Who were their parents? What kind of lives did they live? Was there anyone inside that was a rich doctor? Was there anyone they banished from their village so they now went to another village because of the kind of people they were? I said, oh, yeah, these things don't matter. I said, it matters. I said, if God, with the limited space he had inside Bible, he could take the time to use a huge portion of it to be describing genealogy, and this begat this, and that begat that, I said, you think God is stupid? I said, he is called the word. So there is no word that he takes for granted. So if he used himself to be writing genealogy, that's to tell you he plays a role. And there is nothing any man carries that is not a product of what the people before you carried. I said, sometimes you need to break it off you and sometimes you need to add it to yourself. I said, so when you don't have a knowledge of history, you cannot walk in power in the present. So there are some things that make you powerful in the spirit. Why? Because we're talking about first the nature of God himself. He's a God that holds history in his hand. And he's a God that begins, he ends. If you don't know how it began, how can you end it well? So if you're going to replenish from Eden, the first thing you want to embrace is the nature of God. Embrace it. When you think about God, don't think about him as far off. Think about him as who you are. Have that capacity to sit down with matters and evaluate it. I saw, I said to the lady, I said, 
the, the thing you are asking me to help you solve a prayer. I said, if I'm a lying pastor, do you know what I'm going to do? I'll tell you, so what we're going to do now, Simi, is that we're not going to be praying for the next one week. Fast, dry, please. You know. And then call me every day, 4 a.m. Do you understand? Then 4 a.m., when you call me like this, Good morning. There are some things that make you powerful. And then if by chance we do video call, my face will be squeezed. I'll say, Sister, there's something I'm saying now. Do you understand? I said, I will do that with you 30 minutes every day. I said, with the kind of money you have and your inability to intercede for yourself, by the time we are done, you'll be giving me five million to just hold first. I said, but that thing is nonsense rubbish. I said, let me teach you the vastness of the word so that you can find yourself within the context of your life and how your life is found within the context of time and eternity. There's nobody more powerful than a person that knows where they stand. I say, so when I carry my leg and I say I'm going to South Africa, people think I'm mad. There are many people that believe that I'm doing rubbish ministry. And it's okay. It doesn't really matter. I saw Jennifer Sinclair or something. One prophet has put up something recently. She said, not everybody will understand your calling. Because when God called you, it was not a conference call. She gets. So it's very okay. I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm fine with it. But you see, God puts inside of all of us a measure of sight based on the assignment he has commanded us. He said to Abraham, go and look. As far as your eye can see, I will give you. Another person that sees Abraham declaring the ends of the earth as his will not understand what is possessing him. It is a vision the Lord imputes inside of you that makes it possible. And so when, you, when I step out to do those things, it is because I have done the spiritual assignment. It's the work. There's a work you do to replenish. You yourself must come into the understanding of everything that is depleted. You must be able to hold the knowledge of what you find. But not hold it for the purpose of gist. But hold it for the purpose of it being a compass that enables your quest. And so spiritually you are seeking out solutions. And as you are doing this thing, you are not planning to be great. Your heart is just palpitating with a need to see the world better. With a cry of Adonai resounding from inside you. And then you look back three years later, you have become an infrastructure of hope. Not because that was what you set out to do, but because that was what you committed yourself to be. So as we speak about replenishing from Eden, remember, remember, remember that I told you today, keep your eye on the nature of God. It will save you. It will help you. It will strengthen you. It will embolden you. Now, when you go further into the book of Genesis 2, you begin to see how the Bible speaks about how God created the heavens and the earth and the Lord made the earth. It was formless. It was void. No, not Genesis 2. And he began to speak about the garden and how the Lord made the garden. And um, he says, and the water sprung out of Eden and all of that. Now, the first thing you want to note about Eden is that Eden literally means pleasure. That's the word for Eden. And like I said, don't take anything in the Bible for granted. Eden literally means pleasure. So I, I begin to think to myself, when the Bible says, 
He planted a garden in Eden of all the places that the Lord could have imagined. Of all the places he could have planted a garden. Of all the places. Why Eden? And it's because Eden is not just a physical location. Eden speaks about a place in the spirit. Speaks about a place. Not just a place. Speaks about an authority sphere in the spirit realm. It is a description of a part and a component of the heart of God. And the life of God. He says he planted a garden in Eden. Now, if Eden means pleasure, what and who is pleasure? The Bible says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Please, you need to stay with me because we are replenishing from Eden. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the Bible spoke about one who the Lord said. And he says, he said to him, come and sit at my right hand. So that means when the Bible speaks about pleasure, he's not speaking about just a place. He's speaking about a person and the sphere that that person occupies. And his name is Jesus. Now he says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Remember when Jesus was being baptized and the Bible says that a dove came over him and, it said, and a voice was heard from heaven. It says, this is my beloved son, what? In whom I am well pleased. The fullness of my pleasure is in him. So when it says he planted a garden in pleasure, he was not talking about a place. He was talking about a person and everything that that person encompasses. So when we talk about replenishing from Eden, basically we're talking about replenishing from Christ. So it is impossible to replenish the earth if you don't understand the infrastructure that is Christ. Because Christ is not just a man. Christ is an entire infrastructure. And the Bible describes him as the one that has made the worlds and the worlds are held together by him. That means Christ is not just an architectural plan. Christ in himself is the very cement, brick and mortar that holds all created things in place. And so when you begin to talk about replenishing the earth of course you cannot replenish it without the initial component that created it. And the component is called Jesus and he is where? Pleasure. So when we speak about the pleasure realm we are not speaking about it's sweet, it's nice. That's not the definition of pleasure. Actually, when you go into Romans 6, and it was speaking about yield yourself, yield your members to God. And when he spoke about lust, in fact, in James 4, when he spoke about lust, he says the things that your members lost for. I had to go back and check again. I'm like, this lust, this lust, what is it, gong, gong, gong? Because that was exactly what made Eve to eat the fruit. Now, please, as we talk about Eden and the garden, remove your head from everything they taught you when you were a child. Just leave that place and enter this place. Now, I said, because what was it exactly, that loss that caused Eve to stretch her hand? And when you check that word for lost in the New Testament as used in James 4, it's actually the word that also means pleasure. So when it speaks about Christ being pleasure. Listen, what the Spirit lost for in us is the nature of Christ to be formed in us. What God actually lost for is Jesus in all things. That's the quest of the Father. Now, you then realize that it says he planted the garden in Eden. I will go to the garden. But there is something about Eden. The word Eden, oftentimes in some of the writings of the Bible was also used as paradise. So it was juxtaposed. And you see this, first of all, in the different gardens that you see. You see the garden of Adam and Eve. The garden was in pleasure. 
Now, you also see where the word Eden was also used. It was used in Ezekiel 28 when he spoke about Lucifer. Now, you now wonder this strategy of God and this presence of Lucifer still on the earth and becomes our time-bound contention until we enter into the fullness of the age to come. Why? In Ezekiel 28, it says concerning him that he was, it says, Lucifer, he was in the garden of the Lord. It says you were in Eden, the garden of the Lord. That means, and the Bible describes him as the covering cherub. We'll look at that later. So that means there was something about the measure of the strength that Lucifer had that made him one that covered the region of the earth. And he was in Eden. There was something about what Lucifer carried that was an expression of the nature of the Christ that we see today. Because why did Jesus come? Please, why did he come so that we may receive power to deceive, defeat Lucifer? Why? Because Lucifer has an understanding of what the infrastructure of Christ, of Jesus is. He says he was in Eden, the garden of the Lord. He was the first person that knew what it meant to be planted by God. Because why? He had a responsibility. He was a covering cherub. He carried the same kind of responsibility we carry today to cover the earth. To take responsibility for the earth. Let's go further. And then you see that there was another time when Eden as paradise was used. And you see it as the third heavens. When the Bible begins to speak about where we go to the literal planet heaven. Many times it is used as a parallel and they call it paradise also. And even the construction of that literal planet heaven is embedded in Christ. Why? The Bible says the worlds were made by him. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Basically, in the beginning, Jesus went to construction. So even that idea of heaven to come, the life to come, the literal planet that we may be in for just seven years is also called paradise. Why? Because it carries that nature of Jesus. Now we see the fourth paradise that is mentioned, which is where Abraham and Co were in the bosom. When it's called the bosom of Abraham, it was also called paradise. And they were there for a while before Jesus came and defeated Satan in his territory and set them free. Now, you then realize that every paradise that was mentioned in the Bible was something that was constructed within the love of Christ. It was almost like a holding vessel for God's people. A holding vessel so that they are not consumed. But it's also like a place of power when you look at it and you go further down to the garden in itself. And you know, I started asking, let's go further. I started asking myself, why is it that many key things that we see in the Bible that entirely changed the nature of man happened from the garden? Why? Man fell in the garden. Jesus went through his Gethsemane issues in the garden. Jesus resurrected in a tomb that was in a garden. So it is almost as if God is constantly speaking to us about gardens. And how gardens are places where destinies are birthed and destinies are taken. So when we begin to hear about the garden of the Lord, we're not talking about flower. Flower is there, even when it talks about trees in the garden. We know that prophetically trees represent like people, authority, church, that whole infrastructure of the faith. Now, in the garden, I looked at the meaning of garden. 
And it's actually the word gang, G-A-N. And it speaks literally about an enclosure, a, a, a garden as we know it, and all of that. But figuratively, it actually speaks of bride. So when it says he planted a garden in pleasure, he planted his bride in pleasure in Christ. So it is impossible for us as the church to talk about replenishing the earth without talking about our position in Jesus. Some keys to note about the garden. It says, God planted a garden. That means it was God's garden. God has a garden. God is a gardener and I need you to hear me. If God is a gardener, that means he expects us to be gardeners. And Pastor Eva was touching on it. If God took his time to come down and to check, okay, what is happening? What is not happening? He didn't leave it to chance. He didn't say, oh, I'm God by myself. It will replenish itself. Everything will be fine. I've planted, I've tried, I'll leave it. He didn't do that. He tended to it daily. That means we must also tend to our own gardens daily. It is impossible for us to replenish the earth if we are not replenished. It is impossible for us to fill the earth if we are not filled. Jesus, our God, shows us the first thing about himself, that he's a God that takes his time to monitor what he plants. The last time you planted Proverbs 21 in your spirit, have you checked on it? How is Acts chapter 2 doing? How is Romans 4 faring? All the things you have planted in yourself. The last time you took the time to pray, when you saw jealousy had entered your spirit, and you said, I, I, I was happening. Now, anytime somebody tells me something good has happened to them, a part of your heart just... Mm. When they tell you how well their marriage is faring, mm, they just got one opportunity, one new job. Mm. Something is not sitting right. And you realize that a spirit had broken the boundaries of your soul and has entered into a place that you did not permit it to enter into. And as a skilled workman, you know that when the enemy enters, he doesn't come to drink with you or to make you better. The Bible says it comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. There's no end to this matter. It's destruction. There is no end to any invasion of the enemy. It is destruction. Simple. No matter how you sugarcoat it, no matter how he rewards you in the now, what he is shooting for is your destruction. So you contend. How are the things? So when you went on your knees in that season, the next thing you broke into your garden, and it became clear to you what Satan was doing. And somehow in the place of prayer, you just began to see it. You saw the day when something broke because somebody told you, you, oh, is it that everything you do it never works? Car. It just did something to you that you did not know. Then after that day, every time you heard that the things that other people do works, something happens to your spirit. A door was opened in your soul that you never shut. And so when you went into prayer that day, and God 
God showed you and he showed you that it was the words and you began to say I reverse every word I reverse every pronouncement over me I reverse every declaration of darkness I declare by the power of the Holy Ghost that this space of my soul belongs to God I rebuke the spirit of jealousy I am rooted in the knowledge of God's will concerning my life I stand strong not by the equipment of hell but by the equipping of the Holy Ghost and you fought that war you did it for three days and after three days you realized that uh -uh, you became light you now started facilitating people's growth and increase and then the product of that now became that God increased your sphere of influence fast forward five years later you entered again but now it's now on a higher level because God has now increased you to the place of authority the kind of jealousy is not jealousy that has authority that can scatter the lives of 50 people in a moment if you don't deal with it. Then you have to go back. Because why? God has shown us a picture. He could have planted, a, he could have planted anything in Christ. But why did he plant a garden? Because gardens need gardeners. Gardens need tending. Gardens need maintainers. Gardens need watching and watering. God shows us that in his power and his authority as God, he still has to go back and keep working on his garden. Then you must work on yours. Satan locks us into cycles of brokenness. The day we enter our garden and we find a dead rose, and Satan tells you, look at you, you are a poor gardener, you can't take care of anything, look at thorns and everything green, and then you turn away from me, you're like, ah, in fact, I won't even look at it, let me look at the side that is beautiful, oh, look at this beautiful side, oh Lord, I worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Your marriage is dying, your business is dying, your children are dying, you're calling an ordination, Satan is tainting your name up and down. Anywhere you enter, where they used to like you. Now you enter. Everybody is doing one kind. You have not gone to question it in the spirit. And take your name back. Go back and take it. Now you don't like reading Bible again. You are still talking about the days of university. How you used to pray for 100 hours. Until why are you no longer praying for 120 hours now? Tend the garden. Go back. So you now realize why God is a God that always has an intervention plan. Because the whole of the earth is the garden of the Lord. The earth is the planting of God. So he is constantly, constantly in the days of Noah, he came, he said, listen, something's going to happen because I have to replenish. And then he sent an ark strategy and he said, this is how you shall be preserved. Even the flood in itself, Noah is my mercy reaching out to creation. And then you now see him, he now came again in the days of Abraham with the intervention plan of a covenant. And the angels look and they're like, what at man? Why are you cutting a covenant with a vessel that is bound to fail you? And he's like, you don't get it. It's my garden, angels. I am responsible for it. You are my messengers. I send you to go buy flour, go get manure. But if the garden fails, it's not you that failed, I failed. I take responsibility for all generations. And so you see God going from cutting a covenant. He then watches over the covenant. He's watching over the covenant to perform it, to perform it, to perform it to all generations. And then we wake up and say, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know why? He's a faithful gardener. Anything he plants, he never lets it die. He watches over it. 
He watches over it. He keeps moving. He keeps moving. He goes for Abraham. He enters the dispensation of the law with Moses. And he's trying, he's trying. He keeps going. He enters again. He enters into grace. He Listen, he is consistently tilling the earth. My question is, are you consistently tilling your garden? Because outside of that, you really cannot operate in the fullness of your influence. Have you not wondered why God has locked himself and constrained his power within the church? Is he not teaching us something? Is he not telling us something? Why does he not just break out? And then when Ogboni people are having their meeting, he steps in. And he says, you know, I'm God all by myself. After all, it's the outcome that matters, right? Okay, let me teach you people what to do. Why does he not do that? Why does he constrain himself within a system, within an order, within a plan? Because God is teaching us that your power, man, your power has got constraints. It's got order. It's got government. If you don't tend to this, you cannot arrive at occupying the whole earth. I, God, if I don't tend to my church, my bride, I cannot occupy the whole earth. So you then look at your life and then you realize that the concept of the garden comes from God. And that means God himself is a gardener and a garden is not just a place of relaxation. It is also a place of warfare. So you then realize that Christianity is not all about, oh, I love you, Jesus. And then the day trouble comes. You're like, you know what? I can't do this. I, I just, I can't, I can't do this. Like, it's too much. It's not too much. It's not too much. Because for every Eden that I have seen God plant in, there was war. There was war. The words just came in different formats. For Lucifer, iniquity was found in him. And the words are always subtle. The words are not even grenade, missile. The words always go down to the soul. The desire. You wake up one day, child of the living God. And you just realize that anybody that passes you like this, you just start to like the person. You are still there singing. You will not go and fast. You will not go and fast. Why? Because the warfare is not that they came and killed your child. That one's small now. We go meet the picky forever. You can pray resurrection. There are some prayers that people cannot pray for you because they are not in your garden. What destroys humanity and what destroys the plans that God has for man to occupy and replenish the earth is always what is in your garden. What is in your garden? Who is in your garden? What has entered into the space of what you see, what you sense, what you feel, what you like, what you desire? Because out of the heart will flow the matters of life. Out of your garden will flow the rivers that will replenish or deplete the earth. And then you begin to go further than you realize that True gardens have eternal value. They hold power and capacity. True gardens. There are things that you will say to me, and I could respond from outside my garden. 
And but later we call you back and say, see that thing. I did not respond for my guardian. Why? Because a true guardian has power. When you now step into the closet of guarding, you now respond from the place where there is an unhindered intersection between you and God, you and heaven. That is the place where you can now say, I know I said, forget it. Forget it, man. Which kind of rubbish be that? But I went back into the garden and I saw how your life intersected with the eternal work of Christ and the will of God. And I now say to you from the garden, contend one more day. Because the garden is the place of power. The garden is the place of strength that comes from fellowship. The garden is the place of vulnerability. It's a place of openness. I was saying to my leaders recently, and I said to them, have you seen a woman that lost her husband, wants to make the home work? They're in such a beautiful place. But when she's going to bed, she does everything. She will cook. She will prepare the house. She will do everything. She sends the children. She's a fantastic model Proverbs 31 wife. Has businesses, works, does ministry, preaching. When you look at her from the outside, you are like, ah, fantastic. 100% kind of wife. But the man that is living with her, when she wants to go to bed, she will wear a tight, high waist jeans. That's on top of the ghetto. Do you understand? Tight ghetto. Then tight, skinny, high waist jeans. The type that you suck belly to button. You understand that jeans? That's the type she wear. Then she will now wear inner singlet. Then she will now wear on top inner wear. Then on top of that, she will now wear another big blouse and throw jacket on top. Then just so that she doesn't miss anything, she will wear high heel shoe. Carry her knees back. Then she will tell the husband shift. Lie down. Use duvet on top. Have you seen that before? If your wife does that, what's she telling you? Uncle, don't come near me. Don't try it. Anything that escapes the sword of my jacket will not escape the sword of my shiny. If it escapes the sword of my jeans, it will not escape the sword of my ghetto. Do you understand? That's what she's telling you. But guess what? That is what we do consistently with God. We still have the garden because God will not take back what he's given to us. That inner place in us where we interact freely with the Lord. When we stand and say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, that we will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The doors of heaven fling open. And there is that free flow of Zion, the ladder of Jacob is found in us. But in the midst of that place, we are wearing jeans. The very matters you should discuss with Jesus, you never discuss with him. The very things you should say, you never say them. Your weaknesses, you never reveal it. When Jesus is like, come on, can we get intimate? You cross your leg. <laughs> Please, I don't want to. No man can see me as I am. And he's like, but I'm the Lord. Why do you think nakedness was a prerequisite for the garden? Nakedness and vulnerability. They could not walk in power and carry glory until they were naked. Many of us are not naked. We are fully dressed with Jesus. Recently, I was going through a struggle. It was, str see, <laughs> one day I have to write a book called Struggle. <laughs> Pierre, what's the book about? Struggle. 
Who wrote the forward struggle? Backward struggle. Middle, every chapter will be called struggle unto struggle unto struggle. You know why? Because I now understand. When you hear the apostles write some scriptures, you'll be asking yourself, these things don't correlate. On one hand, he will preach about the mysteries of Christ, the power of the age to come. On the other hand, he will say, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Oh, that you will take this uh, turn away from myself. Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Come on, get it together. You're the apostle. Come on, apostle with tea. And then I started to understand that is like the height of our um, power and engagement and unity with Christ is determined by our height of willingness to be vulnerable with Christ. And because this is true, Satan would always give you deeper reasons to keep secrets from Jesus. By deceiving you into thinking that where you stand is not sufficient. What is going on in you is too much for Jesus to see. So on my own, I was, according to Obini, people had a shrongo, shrongo, shrongo. <laughs> no, shrongo, all of us, they had a shrongo. I shrongo, shrongo. <laughs> honestly I struggle, struggle on my own until one day Jesus called me and said in Nebia when will you invite me in I said but Jesus I want to be right for you I'm yours I'm your own I'm your child God I am the one that you have established the mantle of Deborah Jesus Jesus said ah man to no kill you. <laughs> Death by mantle. <laughs> Jesus said, you better come here, let's discuss. Show you that mantle before you die. Listen, my friend, sit down here. So with shame, I covered my eye. I said, Jesus, yes. He said, you see, before I formed you, Before any day of your life began, I was already in that day. And I weighed all the options. He says, and I said, no matter the road she passes, she will end up in my good. He said, Isi, what do you want to say to me now that you think will surprise me? He says, sin is crouching at your door. In the form of deceit, he says, but you must master it. And I said, God, what do I do? He said, get naked with me. Ah, Pierre, since you have become a post, you have been preaching sexual messages. <laughs> My sister, last, last. Now, wait till what they do for that Gardino. Trust them. You understand? Now waiting there, if you think and say, who is in the garden, a little fine girl. Now waiting there for garden. If you read songs of Solomon spoke about the garden, when you hear him talking about garden, you say, 
It's like it's not guarding Solomon is talking about. You understand? So Jesus is like, can you get naked with me? And I said, Lord, I've, I said, this kind of cloth where I said, I'm put for my body, I never wear around before. I said, I don't know how to take it off. I said, I have never engaged with you before on this level. And he said to me, okay, can you let me take it off? And as Christ was pulling the cloth, I was screaming on the floor. Because it was almost as though the garment I had used to cover myself had become my natural defense system. So even though I knew that it had to be taken off, it still made me feel naked and vulnerable. Why? Because God taking off the garment is not does not equate to God healing you and repositioning you in power. So that's why it was impossible. When he came, he looked at Adam and Eve and he says, ah, he couldn't just take the leave away from them and say, okay, go back to nakedness because they can't stand it. Their default was no longer nakedness. They could, there was no way they could stand it. So he now went to sew thicker cloth for them to help them transition from a lack of vulnerability back into vulnerability and he covered them as Christ was taking it off it was paining me because as he took it off I saw all the places where I failed all the times when it was me that borrowed Satan needle to sew the cloth I saw it and it didn't feel good because remember what we are talking about Uchi said it I'm P.I. of the most high I can't fail now I mean, come on, check me out, Jesus. I carry together story. We are all spiritual hustlers. As it was taken off, its shame followed me. Fear came upon me because I realized all of a sudden how vulnerable I was to attack. I realized all of a sudden that it's not my prayer meetings that have kept me but grace. I realized all of a sudden that I'm not the best mother, I'm not the best wife, I'm not the best pastor, I'm nothing. Nothing. If in the mercy of God he did not catch me when he did, maybe I would have been video vixen by now. The reality of the endless possibilities of death were laid in front of my eyes. I was, I was crying, I was repenting. As I was crying, I was ashamed. As I was crying, I was begging on the people that have, have judged wrongly to forgive me. In that place of prayer, Jesus took off the garment and he said, you see, I understand. I know how you are feeling now. He said, but please, can you allow me remarry you and reestablish a new covenant in this area with you? And as I stood there with the Lord, I did not know when I born again for how many years filled with the Holy Ghost preaching the gospel crusade revival the only thing I heard myself say was Jesus I receive you into my life I receive you into my soul I receive you into my spirit come and be my Lord and Master hey after how many years so was I not born again since I was born again but God I've taught you people before his name is Yahweh Yahweh is not a noun, it's a verb. God is a moving, moving target. And as you come into depths of revelation of this unending God that is revealing himself, you need to constantly enter into him by reason of rededication, covenant, sanctifications. Ah! 
Because you see, God in that season was breaking me open into levels of influence, into levels of replenishing on a wider scope than what I was used to. But you see, the reach of the river that comes out of you is determined by the depth of intimacy and vulnerability you have broken in Christ. The reason why your river does not pass this place is because you have, you have not opened up past this place. The first time you preached in a white church, everyone was looking at you like this. When you finished, nobody was blessed. And then you go back. You're like, you know what? All these people, they're not ready for revival. They're not ready for... Uncle, go back and ask yourself, were you shouting too much? Were you preaching about poverty too much? Were you talking about God will provide? No, they have everything they need. Is it possible that there is a refining of your message? There is a refining of the intention of your heart that you have not broken into. The power of the gospel is not in the abundance of words. Listen, you can say Jesus is Lord and people are shaking and crying. Because the reach of the message is not in the complexity of the sermon. It is in the weight of what you have entered in Christ. So every time I enter the room, I invite people into my garden. I invite people into the aroma and the atmosphere of what I enjoy in the Lord. You cannot replenish the whole earth until you have been replenished. Why did Jesus, why did God plant his bride, his church in pleasure? Because only a pleasured bride can bring pleasure to the world. Have you seen women who have serious marital issues? They fall either of two ways. They can become cranky, angry, sad, bitter, anxious. Many times they don't even know that they can tie it to the troubles at home. But have you also, it can also be that they become the opposite. No confidence, lack enthusiasm. You can match, they're just, they're just because they don't have any form of defense. Have you seen a woman who is loved? Who is in pleasure? Do you know what I'm talking about? She got a smile when nothing funny. She's enthusiastic about all good things. She has strength and willingness. These things I'm saying to you, let me tell you, I like the Bible. So I study for no reason. I stay with my Bible and take one word and study everywhere that it is from Genesis to Revelation. Many times I don't preach the things I study because one hour and the way church is structured does not facilitate it. That's why I do trainings. So that I have time to break down things. So I could come here and tell you mighty things about government and this one. But I'm also telling you those things don't matter. They don't matter until you can take care of business. They don't matter until you can take care of the inner parts of your being. Until you can take care of the garden. As I go, I want to tell you something. You see that tree that we see in that garden? It is always before us every day. That tree has not gone anywhere. It's still there. Every single day, we are standing in front of that tree. 
every single time. Do I admit that what Satan is threatening me with is true? Oh, in the day that you eat of it, you'll be able to discern good from evil. You'll be like God. Absolutely true. That speaks to the fact that even though I have his image and likeness, yet I'm limited in certain areas. And I'm fine with it. I'm fine. As long as I'm not bridging government, the boundaries that Christ set for me, I'm fine with them. As long as he says, I am within this boundary with you and this is my will, I'm fine. There are times when I sit back and I wish I could just do church. I wish I could set up like Ecclesia Hills. I wish I could have congregation members. Honestly, the way we do ministry is harder in its own way. But church is also harder in its own way. Sometimes I wish I didn't have to be jumping up and down. And then there are people who have an image of what they think success looks like. And because they see you here, they see you there, they think, wow, wow, wow. And then people are just going to say, I'm just seeing you. What's this thing? What's this thing? What's that thing? Where did they go? And then there are those who just hate you. In ministry, you've never spoken to them. You've never interacted with them. But they just don't like you. Because they have a crazy impression. And because you are daring to do things that some people will never dare to do. There's a sense in which they think you are proud about what you are doing. Even though what you are doing makes you scared, weak, and vulnerable consistently. So it's almost like sometimes you are not rewarded. You are not appreciated because you are not truly seen. So there are days when I say to myself, it would be more accommodating. And remember again, I'm a woman. Let's call a spade a spade. I'm a woman. The world and the church is not that open and ready. And so many times it's like, what are you doing? And you're not kneeling down in front of certain standards that are set. So it's like, who the heck does she think she is? Then the worst part is I'm big. My body big. I'm not talking about spiritually. So when I enter a room, I feel the place. I look proud naturally. Do you understand? And then I'm going, hey, how are you doing? And I hug you like this. You think this is what I'm saying is rubbish. I'm telling you. The things I've had to explain myself for were not that I said you are mad. It was the way I... And then when I preach, I preach with force and authority. I've had, I've been judged for things that had nothing to do with who I truly was, who I truly am in my garden. And so sometimes I'm standing in front of that tree and I'm like, Lord, can I just do it differently? Can I just be safe? Can I just not be okay? with the boundary you have cut for me. Listen, the day I stretch my hand, as tempting as it is, because sometimes we think of the temptation, we think of something being bad. Temptation does not always lead to obvious bad. 
It's not only fornication, adultery that is temptation. It can be the temptation to go and start NGO when God told you to start church. So in the physical eye, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But it will lead you to death. So when I talk about standing in front of that tree every day, forget all the things you know as evil. Listen to what evil is. Because good is the ability to reproduce the will of God through generations. And to set a system in place that reproduces that will without your intervention. So sometimes you may even be building something that began good. But it ends up being evil because you did not put a mechanization in place. That necessitates that it can reproduce itself to the fourth, third generation without your intervention. So many of us do good work, good ministry, that in the next generation will be called evil because there is nobody, there is no system outside of you that necessitates that it is replicated. This is the criteria for good. So when you now say what is evil is the opposite of that. Is it wrong to bite fruit? It was never wrong. It was just the time, the conditions attached to it and the reason for which they took it. Do you think Solomon came by mistake? God did not calculate the DNA of Bathsheba, Misritz, David from the foundation of the world. He did. He would never put a king on the throne of David that was not forecalculated on that throne. So the question is, if he was always in God's divine plan, what was the problem with what David did? It was how he took it. Why he took it. When he took it. People of God, come here, Kasapia. Now, so me and you see Jesus' matter. Because when you enter into this place, you now realize that some things are more critical than others. Forget the billboard, forget the posters. Forget the amount of times you attend church service. Forget all those things. The reason why the rivers of the church does not break out is because the garden is unkept. The bride is uncared for. Scrubbles, fights, disunity, issues. You did this. I... How can our rivers break out? How can our rivers break out? It was until God placed the man in the garden and they were living together, doing what God called them to do under the glory of God in obedience to the Spirit. That was when a river flowed from Eden. And then it entered the garden first. You cannot replenish a world when you have not been replenished. Because it must flow first into Eden. I contend for my replenishing. I contend for my watering. Ask those who work directly with me. I am not under pressure to perform. If they ask me, Pia, how are you doing? Today I'm not doing well. I'm not doing well. Pia, I don't understand. Pia, it's like you have not been holding plenty meeting. What's really happening? Ah, I can't hold meeting, no. I can't hold meeting. 
because me and Jesus who have not been meeting well since. I'm not doing, I'm not under any kind of pleasure, pressure at all. I must operate from pleasure. I must operate from the longing of the spirit. I must operate from a place where I feel the Holy Ghost like reaching to me and reaching to him. What you hear, what you see is a product of my love, romantic relationship with the Holy Ghost. If he does not romance me, I cannot romance the world. If he does not tell me, open your mouth, let me give you water. I can't give you water. I will give you something, but it may not be the true water of the Spirit. Whether I be in pain or I be in trouble, that's not the criteria for the watering. The criteria is, can I see Jesus in the midst of it? Is my heart still right in the midst of it? Is my heart still right? That's why I don't do, I'm not everywhere, relationship here, relationship there. Because if you are doing, you'll be a liar. I'm, you know, I'm everybody's friend. I'm every, you will, because you cannot tell the truth anymore. The few that I have, I cherish you. I cherish on to love and I cherish on to fight. Do you get? If you do me something I don't like, I will call you. And I will say, ah, but why now? And I will tell you how I'm feeling. Whoever I am in the Lord does not, that's my work. That's my office. That's my office. You think when Adam and Eve were jumping up and down naked, the angels were just looking at them. Angels in their own garment were saying, oh, wow. That's what they work out God. They're not so pants, small. Small pants. Okay. Mm. Do you think when they're jumping up and down, up and down, do you really think their nakedness was their problem? When the angels saw how these naked, weak people we stand and command the heavens, whatsoever they called the animals was what they became. They looked at God and said, what that man? They could not understand the complexity of their, their form and nature. How is this possible? Why am I saying this? I know who I am in my office, my work. But at the end of the day, if I don't find people, places where I can be naked, I'm not as powerful as I say that I am. I can call Pimu and say, Pimu, I don't understand. The way you looked at me is like you were saying to me, my head not correct. And you say, but Pia, uh, uh, you and I know your head is covered. I'll say, no, I know. But it's the manner in which you looked at me that we are addressing here. He will not say, but Pia, that's how my eye is. Since they gave birth to me, he used to do like this. I'll not say, but Pia, I've known this eye now for almost 12 years. They will now go back and forth until we now arrive at, okay, okay. The eye is not really, but it's like this. I'm not so okay. Sorry, I judge your eye. Adam is, I've not been looking at your eye well since. Hey, 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 and see, it's not my fault. Do you understand? What does that do if I do that? It exposes me. It shows him that I don't used to look, I used to matter to me how people look at me, but I don't care. Because if I love him enough, I must be willing to be naked to contend for what we have. You see? That's the power of the church. 
until in nakedness we can all hold each other like this. And I'm not looking and saying, suck your belly, suck your belly. Suck it in. Okay, all right. Joseph, I'm not looking, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But we all hold ourselves like that. And journey into the world. That's when the world sees a vulnerable, broken, army, weak. But yet, what goes ahead of them is the sound of an army. It's the fire that devours. It's power and glory. Because you see, these rivers must break out of us. Until you reach a place like this, where you know that in your weakness and vulnerability, God has got you. God keeps you. Then you can go and keep the world. Then you can go and bless the world. Today I invite you back into the ministry of the garden. I invite you back into the place of pleasure. To ask for the pleasure of the Lord. To ask for the will of God. To ask to be bathed in the place of fellowship. Consistent intimacy with the spirit. To tell Jesus, enter what I did that day in prayer. After I finished saying, Jesus, I give you my life, I give you everything. Jesus said to me, he said, Isi, I hope you know that when you step out of this place, the warfare will not end. I said, God, really? I thought all it would take is me doing this with you. He said, no, it's going to continue. But the difference is that this time, I'm going to go into it with you. That was the day I knew I will win. I will win. I will win. Listen, today, if there is any part of your life that you genuinely know stands in the way of you walking in the fullness of the power that should come out of your relationship with God, I need you to submit it to Him. I don't know how long it has been. I don't even care how much you have defended the position. If there is but just a little glimmer that says to you, ah, this is not right. This is, this, there should be more in the Lord. Submit it to God. Invite him once again and say, Jesus, I want to do this again. I want to build this earth. But sometimes I'm afraid. That if I stretch myself, what if I fail? What if they find out that I'm not really that worthy? I'm not really that strong? What if they make me somebody now in government and they find out that I don't even know what I'm saying? I'm not that capable. What if I break one of the rules? What if, what if, come on, submit it to Jesus. And tell him, Lord, I am here to be the conduit of hope. Because the river must pass through me. I will not give defiled water to the earth. I will not give corroded water to the world. I will not pass to the earth my broken strategies. I will not teach from your pulpit my broken standards. I will not communicate to another generation the parts of me that could never turn to your light. So today, Lord Jesus, I ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Access, Lord, the deep places in my soul. The places crying and yearning 
The places inside me that I have called disappointments. Baba, none of it. I'm not leaving anything anymore to rot in this garden. This garden has to have life. This garden has to reveal your beauty and your glory to the world. If you are here and you have never given your life to Jesus, I want you to just say after me, Lord Jesus, you are king and I want to come under the authority of your throne. Today I renounce the kingdom I have been living in. I renounce the benefits of that kingdom. And today I ask that you receive me into your kingdom. Help me to naturalize into Zion. Show me your life. Show me your heart. And help me to show you mine. I receive you, Jesus. I receive everything you did on the cross. And maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ. You are a believer that does not believe anymore. You are a Christian that does not honor Christ anymore. I want you to say, Jesus, I repent. I repent of my disobedience. I repent, Jesus, for not trusting you anymore. I repent of all the strategies I have now taken up. You may be a woman who has gone through so much pain in marriage. And you said to yourself, the only way to survive is to harden up and not feel anything anymore. Lord, I repent of deadening myself because it deadened a portion of my intimacy with you. I repent, Lord. I repent of the trauma that happened to me that I never dealt with in you. After a while, I got tired. And I said, for how long shall I mourn before the Lord? Lord, I repent. I want to trust you again. I'm a man. My children were kicked out of school because I couldn't pay the fees. My family was kicked out of the house because I couldn't pay the rent. And now my heart is broken. Even though I'm in church, I don't trust God anymore. Lord, I repent. Today I declare that you are still God. I declare that you are still Lord. And once again, I trust you as my God. Take me back, Lord. Give me your signet ring of authority. Restore the strength of my voice. Pour your oil on my head and use me once again. Extend the rivers of my life so that I may water the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. Father, I bless you and I thank you because I know, oh God, that you have done a mighty work in your people. And I know that today marks the beginning of a new day and a new season for many. Father, I pray that you show them what it means to carry inside of Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. 
Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.